Hey. You're the man. Yeah. I guess that's about everybody. So you got me tonight. We're moving through the book of Judges. Um, following up Dave, he said there's all kinds of pressure since he was so great last week. So all kinds of pressure this week. Um, we're going to start in Judges chapter 13. I was going to read off this list of spoilers and see if y'all guess who it is, but it's too easy. So um, I'm going to read through them, but the first one gives it away, and we all know him well, so uh, it won't do any good to do any kind of a, a quiz on it. So Samson, he was known for his incredible physical strength. He was legendary for his strength, and that was due to his Nazarite vow which included not cutting his hair, not eating anything unclean. Um, he was chosen by God to be a judge. Um, he was the leader of the Israelites, and whenever they were oppressed by the Philistines, he defeated a lion with his bare hands. He slaughtered a thousand Philistines with a jawbone of a donkey. He carried the city gates of Gaza on his back up to a high hill, a great distance. He tied 300 tails of foxes together. Who does that? Um, his relationship with Delilah was what he was well known for. Everybody knows that story about Delilah. Um, he shared with her his uncut hair is what where his strength lied. He was blinded. He was imprisoned. And in the end, he killed himself using his own strength, the own gift that God gave him. Um, what a story. What a life full of ups and downs, um, heroics. You could write a book, have a good movie about Samson today. Um, if we just used his life and put it into just a movie, it would be pretty wild. Um, he's one of the most well-known judges, one of the most well-known characters of the Bible. A lot of times you can ask kids, you can ask someone that doesn't study the Bible much, who do you know? Samson's one of them. Samson's one of them that comes to mind just due to his incredible strength. That's what I remember whenever I was a little kid growing up was Samson, how strong he was. His long hair and how strong he was. Um... That's something that stuck in my mind since I was little. So we all know Samson. We all know about him. Uh, we're going to go through 13 through 16. So we've got four chapters to cover. You can't get real deep into any of them, but we're going to go through them, look at his life, uh, try to draw some lessons from it of how we can use him to, to better ourselves, to better our Christian walk, um, and use his life to, to help us. So we're going to go through. I do want to read the first chapter. I'm not one to just sit up here and read everything, so I am going to divide it up into two. We won't read all these chapters, but I do want to read this first chapter just to kind of get the setting of Samson, what went on, where did he come from, how did he get here, what took place. So would anybody, tell you what, I'm going to start verse 1. This has kind of to do with Samson, but something that's repetitive in the book of Judges. Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. That's what it starts with. No matter how many times we keep going back, Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. How many times have we heard that in the book of Judges um, of Israel doing something dumb? They fell away from Christ or from God. They didn't follow his teaching. Um, how many times have we heard that? No different here. Start out in chapter 13. Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Here comes Samson um, as their judge. So would somebody read 2 through 14, and then somebody read 15 through 25, the rest of the chapter. Let's divide it into two. Read it fast, and then we're going to go through it. Who wants to pick up 15? Okay, thank you. 
The reason I want to read this whole chapter is because we had to get a good grasp of Manoah. He's the one that, it talks about the Nazarite vow. We understand what that is. He can't eat anything, can't eat anything unclean. He can't cut his hair. We understand that Nazarite vow. Um, he was predicted by an angel. The angel of the Lord came and told that he was going to be born. We get that part. Manoah is the one that amazes me in this chapter. Because why did he have to go back after his wife had told him what, was, what happened, what she saw, what she heard? Why did he go back and pray to God and say, can you send that guy again? Tell us that again. Can you explain that, really what happened, really what you said? Did he not believe his wife? Did he not trust his wife? Did he just not understand? What's your all's thoughts on that? Why would, it doesn't talk about what her name is, but obviously she's pretty important because it's, it's talked about her first, and she is the mother of Samson. But Manoah has went back and said, prayed to God and said, hey, send that guy back. Let's hear all this again. Why would he do that? What's your all's thoughts on that? God. Right. The thing is, is they really didn't know that it was God until he descended into the flame. And then all of a sudden, oh my goodness, that was God. So the biggest thing that amazes me is if we pray for something and it happens, does it amaze us? Does it scare us? Because I feel like that's what happened right here. He prayed to God, send this guy back that you sent. Send him back to us. God says, okay, I heard your prayer. God sends him back, and it's like, oh my goodness, I can't believe that happened. Are we like that as Christians today? I know I am. Sometimes if I pray for something and it happens just like that, I thought, well, what happened? Where did that come from? Well, I prayed to God, and he saw that it was fit. It fell into his plan, and there it happened. So I guess Manoah is the one that kind of just amazes me in this first chapter here talking about Samson. Because a lot of it is just the facts. But then you got Manoah that throws in all these, well, send him again. Well, that really was God. And then he gets afraid that God's going to strike him down and his wife has to call him, call him back down and say, well, if God was going to kill us, wouldn't he have just done it? Why would he have did all this stuff that we prayed for, told us all this stuff, said that we're going to have a son and then kill us? That doesn't make sense. And so she has to kind of rein him in. It feels like he's kind of one that jumps to conclusion, does things out of compulsion, um, kind of jumps the gun on things. Am I reading him right? Do y'all see that there? That's true. I mean, and that would be, going back to what you said, it's really hard to, if we were put ourselves in those shoes, how hard would it be? Right. Right. I mean, yeah. Um, maybe they don't have the faith that they, they should, yes. Just wishful Yeah, wishful thinking. Good, anybody else? So finishing up the chapter there, um, it says, God began to guide him. What does he mean by that? The Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him. Let me put it that way first. So he was born, Samson's here, the Spirit of the Lord has began to move upon him. What's he doing to him here? Pushing him toward the road, pushing him where he needs to go, guiding him of what he needs him to do um, to lead the Israelites against the Philistines. Because um, it jumps straight from the Lord is guiding him. And then we go into chapter 14 there, and he's ready to have a wife. I don't know his age exactly here, but he goes from being born, God moving upon him, to now he's looking for a wife. And where does he find that wife? There in chapter 14. 
Um, he's looking at a Philistine woman. So verses 1 through 10. Would somebody read that for us? Verses 1 through 10. Thank you. All right, so starting out here, when he looks for this Philistine woman and wanting her for his wife, um, the parents, they don't understand that that's part of God guiding him. I feel like that's part of the God has moved upon him. He's pushing him in this direction because he's going to use this later on. He's going to use this to accomplish his goal and kind of get him in with the Philistines um, by marrying this woman, um, the lady from Timnah. But they don't realize that. They don't realize that God, even though... This son was from God, and they told him that, and they were going to, God was going to use him. I guess they didn't realize how soon or how God was going to use him. And this is how. He's getting in with the Philistines through this woman. Um, verse 6 there, whenever it says, The Spirit of the Lord came upon him before he killed the lion. If, did you, you haven't noticed, we haven't read through it yet, but you'll notice that the Spirit of the Lord coming upon him is where he gets his strength to do these type of things. Um, it's not just he's out here, he's a strong man, he's, he's going to kill this lion because no man can kill a lion. But it says right here, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Uh, the Spirit of the Lord helped him accomplish this great feat. Um, going on, when it says he ate of the honey from the dead lion's carcass, and then he went to the feast of the wedding. Um, most time a feast, everything I could kind of find on it there's a lot of drinking a lot of celebrating at a feast back in those days did these two things eating from the carcass a dead lion and drinking did that not void his Nazarite vow did that not go against it am I reading that right what's your all's thoughts on that he did um, God was just with him the spirit of the Lord came upon him to help kill this lion but did Samson go back to this out of arrogance what did he go back to this lion for and grab that honey and eat it and then take some to his parents? Um, was that kind of a rebellion on his part? What's your all's thoughts on that? Yep, I agree 100%. I've got a lot more down through here talking about his personality as far as gullible, selfish, um, but still a man of God. Still. Right. That was my question, kind of. Did he sin? Did he void that? Right. You have, oh. So that was my question. I didn't know with this, because nothing, none of the commentaries I read really commented on him sinning. God saying it was a sin, God falling away from him. Um, it's more just kind of telling the story of what he did. So I, I just wanted your all's input on that. Yes. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. I don't know. It's interesting to me that kind of the circumstances and things that he did um, based off the vow, based off of not sinning, what was the turning aside. Um, doesn't give us any more information. We can make a lot of assumptions on it. Um, right. And he didn't tell them. He didn't tell them where he got it. Right. Anybody else? So going on from 11 through 20 of that chapter, it starts talking about the riddle that he told the Philistines there at the wedding. Um, I'm not going to read this, but he kind of made a wager with them. 
made a wager as far as you tell me what this is and I'll give you 30 pieces of clothing. If, if, I, if you don't tell, then you have to give me that. To me, that's kind of making a wager with him, with the, the Philistines. Um, that's another one of those points that I kind of see Samson as a little bit arrogant, a little bit of a troublemaker, a little bit of a, a blowhard, I guess you could call him. Uh, I could see somebody sitting there at a wedding feast talking this up and trying to prove himself to people. Is that how y'all see him there? Um, I do. I feel like that's what he's doing there. But the woman that he married there has gave him over to that temptation, has made him tell the riddle, and it come to his fault there. That could lead back to what Daryl was talking about as far as he went back to that line and to say, did I really kill that thing? Yeah. Never thought about that. What's your all's thoughts? Okay. this lion. Yeah. And he tore the lion the other day. Right, right. I guess the biggest takeaway I get from this is after all that happened, he went down and killed more Philistines to fulfill his part of the wager. So God's will was accomplished by that. His biggest goal was to kill the Philistines, to take them over. So throughout all this, we're questioning the honey, the carcass, the the wagering, the this, the that. In the end, God's will was fulfilled and nothing was mentioned about sin. So God used him, his personality, his attitude, his strength, um, his position with this Philistine woman to fulfill Part of his prophecy that's, that he wanted. Um, so if you tie them all together, in the end, what we say, God wins. God got what he wanted in the end from this. Um, so after that, they went down and killed. Well, he gave his wife away. He was mad about that. And so her father gave his wife to another woman. Um, he came back sometime later, decided he wanted her back. Father told him, I've already given her away. So he got mad, and this is where he ties together those 300 foxes. Am I correct on that? So he ties 300 foxes' tails together. Um, How scary would that be? I mean, a man of great strength, that's scary, but that's one man. Who could catch 300 foxes and tie their tails together? Um, I couldn't either. And it, it says nothing about the Spirit of the Lord coming upon him. He did this by himself. They must have been plentiful. They must have been like deer out on Claypool Alvington. They're just everywhere. Um, but to be able to catch that many foxes and to do it on his own, that's just another one of those stories, those fairy tale stories, I guess you could say. Not fairy tale, it happened. But a story you hear as a little kid, you think, how in the world did that happen? But it sticks in your mind there. And that's true. I mean, yeah, no doubt God had a hand in this. But yes, that's true. Yeah, that is. I had forgot about that verse. Anybody else? All right, so after he does this, um, he runs and hides down in the cleft of the rock there at Lehi. Is that right? Um, the part that I want to, that sticks out to me about this in chapter 15, verses 9 through 15, um, it took 3,000 men of Judah. They took 3,000 men down there to convince him to come out, to bring him back so that the Philistines could could have him. I mean, to me, that's saying a lot. They were scared of Samson. 
I mean, even his own people were scared of his strength and the things he had done. They'd seen all this. They'd heard about all this. I'd be scared of him too. I mean, a man killed that many people, foxes. I mean, you start naming, he carried the gates on his back to a high hill. His own people seemed to be scared of him. So they took 3,000 down there to get him. Um, and here's another one of those little bit selfish things to me. In verse 11 of chapter 15, it says, As they did to me, so I have done to them. So they did it to me, and I did it right back to them, and I don't care who it hurt, what it caused, what kind of pain, what kind of trouble it caused them or my people. They did it to me, so I did it to them. Uh, exactly. Just a little bit of arrogance and um, doesn't feel like anybody can touch him. I mean, and if I had done the things he had done, the strength he had, it'd be hard not to have that attitude. Um, how many times in life do we feel like maybe we're a little bit untouchable at our jobs or in our position or the things we're doing? I mean, how many times do we do that in life? I'm going to be flat honest with you. I feel like I can lift about anything pretty close. I tried it with six by six. My shoulder is gone because I thought I was strong, and I wasn't. <laughs> so you, you get that in your head, oh, I can do that. No big deal. Well, you do the same thing you did 10 years ago, you can't do that today. Um, that's a little thing in life, but we still kind of get that mentality and that attitude of, can't nobody hurt me. I, I can do it on my own. And I feel like that's kind of where he's at right here. They did it to me, so I did it back to them. Um, what do y'all think about that? What's your thoughts on it? Is that how y'all read it? Y'all get a selfish feeling about that? All right. So after they do get him out of the cliff, they bring him in, they tie him up. He makes them promise not to kill him. Um, as long as they promise not to kill him, then he agrees to go. So they bring him in, they tie him up with new ropes. As soon as he gets there, first thing he does is snaps the ropes, grabs a jawbone, and kills a thousand Philistines. Um, to me, it's almost like he planned that. Wait till he got right up on them. Kind of part of God's plan. Get him right there in the middle of a bunch of Philistines whenever they rush out to get him. Then breaks the ropes, takes the jawbone. Kills a thousand of them. Um, to me, that's a big feat right there. And if God didn't have a hand in that, it just seems like it keeps going back to that, that God's will is getting done. No matter how much he goes to hide, no matter what he does, no matter how hard he may try to do what he wants and have his own selfish things going on in his life, in the end, it seems like God's will always gets done there. All right, verse 18. What's familiar about this verse? Then he became very thirsty, so he cried out to the Lord and said, You have given me this great deliverance by my hand of your servant, and now I should die of thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised. Who's that sound like? I mean, not those exact words, but the crying out of dying of thirst. The Israelites always complaining. Um, here you have done this great feat, and I have done this for you, and you delivered this into my hand. And now you're going to let me die over here of thirst. He's complaining again. He's, he's going right back to the Israelites. It just reminds me of them is no matter what God did for them, no matter how much he showed them, no matter how much he proved it to them, there's always something to complain about. There was always something that they went back on and had to complain about. And then they returned to their own ways. Um, it just seems like it's on repeat over and over and over with the Israelites and with these people. 
Okay. So verse 20 there, it says, Samson, let's see, let me, did I skip over? No, I didn't. All right, so Samson judged another 20 years. Doesn't tell us about those 20 years. Basically, I guess kind of silence, peace. There was no women involved, it doesn't sound like. There was no fighting involved um, that we know of. Just basically it says that he served for the next 20 years. Um, Let's see, then we get to the gates of Gaza, starting with chapter 16, verses 1 through 3. I'm going to read that real quick. Now Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went into her. When the Gazites were told Samson has come here, they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gates of the city. They were quiet all night, saying, In the morning, when it is daylight, we will kill him. So Samson lay low till midnight. Then he arose at midnight, took the doors of the gates of the city and the two gateposts, pulled them up and all, and put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Uh, this is another one of those examples just basically showing his power, showing his strength, um, doing it for spite, I guess. Hey, you're going to kill me. I'll just show you how strong I am. I'm going to take these gates and I'm going to go up there and pack them to the hill. Um, I really don't know why he did it. doesn't say why he did it other than for just to make them see how strong he is. Y'all see anything else into that? If not, that's where we get into Delilah. Delilah's deception. And this where I kind of want to go back to Manoah of how smart is Samson to fall for the same thing four times from the same woman within a, can't be that long of a time period. Um, it just amazes me. The more you read over this, kind of like the first chapter of Manoah, or first chapter when it talks about Manoah, how do you keep falling for this kind of stuff? But anyways, we're going to get into it. Um, that's a long ways. Excited to prove a point. I think I'd have packed them a little bit and threw them down. Or just, if I could have pulled them up, that'd have been enough for me. Yeah, that's a that's a long ways. Okay, so Delilah, um, the relationship with her basically, she is a harlot. Am I correct on that? One that he saw and he liked. So now they're going to try to figure out how to use her against him to get what they want is what they're going to do. Um, so for four times, she goes into him saying, how much you love me, tell me your strength, all this stuff. So in verses 6, verse 10, verse 13, and verse 15, can't be a lot of time that passed through these, and all this happened pretty, pretty fast. Um, I think this goes back to kind of his arrogance of, can't nobody hurt me. I can do all this by myself. There's nothing, the first three anyways. Now you get to the fifth one. He finally gave in to her, and we'll get into that in just a second. But I think these first ones here, um, he was just playing with her, and she knew it and was making her look bad. But the fact that he would tell her anything and kind of play with her or make her feel like that he was telling her kind of leads me to believe that that's that arrogance, that's that nobody-can-hurt-me type attitude. Um, The last one, why do you all think he finally gave in to her? Why would he finally tell, he knows what's going to happen. He knows that they've come in to seize him every time. So now, did he truly not believe that his strength was in his hair and believe of that Nazarite vow and everything that has got him this far? Did he not believe in that? Um, 
What a woman. I shouldn't know. All the women's over for the most part. There's a few. In. My wife's in here. I better be quiet. Um, she worried him to death. She kept on and kept on and kept on until he finally gave in. He finally gave in and told her his secret. Right. Right. That was my thoughts, is that he, he truly believed in himself more than a vow that was made before he was even born. Because how many times had he really been taught about this Nazarite vow or taught about why? It doesn't say. Um, but his parents made that vow, the Nazarite vow, for him. So how much does he truly believe in it? Because he's been doing these things standing by himself. I mean, God has been with him, but he's still been doing them kind of by himself. Yeah. That's true. That is true. And that's kind of what he's doing here. Um, he's comfortable with himself and everything that he's done in the past, how he's lived his life, the things he's doing with his life. Um, he's kind of blocked God out a little bit. Um, anybody else? Mm-hmm. So one thing there that sticks out to me as well, how can he sleep deep enough that you don't feel somebody cutting your hair or shaving your head? Is that God maybe trying to humble him and know that, hey, he's told the secret now he's going into sleep to where, hey, this can happen. Maybe God is using this to humble him and to show that, hey, I'm still the one in control because you touch my head at night, you're going, I'm going to know it one way or another, unless it's, I mean, I don't know how you wouldn't know that. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of things, Kevin. We can come up with all kinds of different stories. <laughs> I know, that's true. Uh, I want to think that it's God maybe humbling him. I feel like that maybe God is using this to humble him. I mean, what's your else? That's true. I hadn't thought about that, that he had done the unclean. He had been at the... Right. Okay, so then we finish up. Basically, he gets captured. They come in, they bind him, they gouge out his eyes, they put him in prison. And he becomes a grinder. He becomes one that's probably with a millstone, pushing it around. Uh, so I still go back to he's a strong man regardless. Um, just physically, he's a strong man. But his miraculous strength is gone now as far as his Nazarite vow. But he is still a strong man. They're using that strength. They probably don't understand that most of his strength was from God, so they've got him pushing a millstone um, as a grinder. The thing that Verse 22 right there where it says, However, the hair of his head began, began to grow again after it had been shaven. So we can look at that as in his hair is growing back out. Or maybe we were talking about him getting humbled. Maybe his faith in God is growing now and seeing that, hey, I can't do this on my own. Whenever I tried to do things on my own, this is what I got. His hair is growing. Maybe his faith is growing as well. That's how I want to look at it. That's probably reading into it a little bit too much. But I do feel like that his faith has grown because in the end, his ultimate death is whenever he cries out to God, one more time, God, be with me, as we, and he pushes the pillars. Um, is that a little far-fetched for y'all, or do y'all kind of see that as well? You can tell me I'm wrong. That's fine. You're not going to hurt my feelings. That's true. I don't recall reading it anywhere that he does anyone else where he prayed to God 
of yeah yeah that's what he was talking about how this is the point where he prayed to God but before that throughout his life and all these things okay Mm-hmm. So maybe punishing them some too. Mm-hmm. Right. Just like he has every other time with the foxes, with the gates. Right. That's true. Yep. Like we said earlier. Right. In the end, God wins. It happened. Right. Yeah. True. Right. Yeah. They should have learned from the, the past. Okay. So, a couple things that we can draw as far as what can we learn from Samson and Samson's life. Um, when you take all this into account, everything that he did, his heroics, his arrogance, his hiding, his ups, his downs, um, what can we take away from that for our Christian life today? Uh, one thing that I come up with, and I'm going to, y'all think about it. If y'all have got some more to share, that's great too. We can't abuse the gifts that God's given us. He's given us all gifts to do good, to do whatever, whether it's big, whether it's small. Um, God does work in our life, and he's given us all talents. He's given us all things that we can do, and we shouldn't abuse them. We shouldn't use them for our own glory. We should always give God the glory. We should always use them to further his kingdom. Um, that's why he gave them to us. That's the ultimate goal of everything in life. Uh, going back to Matthew in chapter 25 when it talks about the talents, the people that didn't use the talents. Uh, some used them, some didn't. But in the end, we're all going to be held accountable for how we used our talents, our gifts, the things that God has given us. Um, kind of one of those things, use it or lose it, but use it for the right reasons. And I think that's one thing we can draw from Samson is God gives us everything. God gives us things that we can do, and whether big or small, use them to his glory. Next thing, sin does lead to consequences. Um, No matter how big, how small, sin is going to lead to some type of a consequence. Um, We all have our Delilahs in this world. Some of them we know what our Delilahs are, our sins things that that cause us to stumble, things that cause us to fall away from God. We all have those. Some of them we know, some of them we don't. But we need to be looking for them because if we let those creep in, if we let those overtake us, we can fall from God. We can be separated from Him in sin. Um, So we need to all be on the watch for that. Next thing is even at our lowest, God can still use us to accomplish his purposes. Um, even whenever Samson's eyes were gouged out, he had been imprisoned, he was humiliated, um, everything he'd went through, in the end, as Dave said, God put him in that place. No other way could he have gotten there. And he used him to kill more Philistines to accomplish more of God's goal than he did throughout his whole life. So no matter how low we get, how far down we get, Um, God's always going to be able to use us to accomplish his goal. Now, do we let him or do we not? Most of the time, God's will is going to, he's going to win. So it's just a matter of do we follow him? Do we work for him? Do we let him use that, use us for that? Anybody else got anything you can draw from it? Hope not, because the bell just rung. So.
Thank you all.